Attention culture consumers, join me, the queen of queries, Sarah O'Connor, and my band of nerdy knights, Colleen McMillan, Flo Siegel, and Anders Drew, on Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms, especially that Star Wars galaxy far, far away. Listen each week as we examine the stories that mean so much to us. Bohemian Geek Studies is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith. And I'm Andrew Tahada. I am a blurred with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a freelance writer with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a film and its connection to the DC animated movie universe, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This is yet another DC Animated Podcast. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC Animated Podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have been talking about these films since we've known each other since 1996. That is longer than the time it took for scientists to clone Dolly the sheep. That happened a year after we became friends. So come on, scientists, get it together. That is, that is a long time ago. I almost forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I was looking through a bunch of fun facts for the day, and all of them made me feel old. This one, uh, this one I was okay with. I don't know why. There's some cloning involved which is kind of tied to the movie today a little bit. And that movie that we're talking about is Justice League War. Based on the 2011 comic by Jeff Jaws and Jim Lee, this 2014 film directed by Jay Olivia reintroduces the Justice League with some of his core Silver Age members, but replacing Aquaman and Martian Manhunter for new favorites, Cyborg and Shazam! Woo! At a runtime of 79 minutes, we are introduced to a whole new set of voices to the DC animation with Alan Tudyk as Superman, who has been in several DC productions since this, Jason O'Mara as Batman, Michelle Monaghan as Wonder Woman, Justin Kirk as Green Lantern, Christopher Gorham as Flash, Sean Austin as Shazam, and the legendary Steve Bloom as Darkseid. I also want to drop in this one favorite casting of mine, Shamar Moore as Cyborg. No relation to me, but I am very happy about this casting. But you could tell them that and they might believe you. So, oh, yeah, scratch that. I am, I am Shamar Moore. If you want more Shamar, just talk to me. But if you want Shamar more, you might have to talk to Cyborg. That is a great pitch. I, I would say use that line at a bar if you weren't engaged. I would say <laughs> try that opener and see how it works. You know what? I might steal it. Uh, <laughs> All right, so now it's time to dive into the movie. The first scene opens up in Gotham City. Batman has been implicated in some video footage. Uh, everybody's blaming him for some abductions that's been going on. And right at that moment, you see this woman running for the bus. She doesn't make it. That is the story of my life. I've never been able to catch that bus. <laughs> that's the B-52. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're never catching it. <laughs> no matter how fast you are. As soon as she realizes she misses the bus... She gets snatched up by this Batman-looking figure, but it's actually a parademon. Along the way, Green Lantern sees what's happening here. He stops the parademon from kidnapping the woman and saves her by putting her in an elevator that takes her up to the top floor of a building onto the roof, and she immediately accuses him of trying to hit on her. Yeah, she's like, oh, how much is this going to cost me? And I'm like, <laughs> what? You know, it does make sense because it's Gotham. Nothing is free in Gotham. Oh, yeah, that's so, true. <laughs> it it kind of makes sense why she's like, so what are, we, what are we doing here? You know, 
you want some weed because you're green i I don't know (laughs) we find out quickly that green lantern doesn't really know who batman is and this is the first time he's meeting with batman and the two of them try to chase down this parademon while avoiding all the police because the cops are also very anti-batman in this iteration so everyone's chasing each other there's so much confusion and batman and green lantern finally end up in the sewers and they get to chat and what i love about this pairing is i don't remember seeing this (laughs) oh yeah no (laughs) this joking nature between the two of them is so great because for me it gave the movie this buddy cop film that was all like hey you're in my jurisdiction no you're in my jurisdiction and it then led into why i like to call it the gll count because more and more, I just see Green Lantern just lose in just arguments <laughs> and bat- At one point, Batman takes his ring without even noticing it. It's just like Batman breathes and the ring is in his hand already. Yes, this man, Green Lantern, gets no respect from Batman. Batman is saying, you can create anything with your mind. So what? I have a billion dollars and I'm dressed like a bat. Let's go. <laughs> There's even a really great line of dialogue where green lantern is like oh batman so you must have super strength he's like no so you're a vampire no you're not just a guy in a bat suit are you and batman just smiles and walks away (laughs) it's fantastic it's a great takedown that shows that the heroes won't take themselves too seriously Mm -hmm. in this iteration which i really really appreciate when it's not all serious and they can have a little fun with things. As you mentioned, they're in the sewer and they see the parademons setting up this box along one of the walls. We don't know what it is, but Green Lantern just automatically assumes that it's some kind of explosive. So he goes into attack mode, Batman tries to stop him. And before the parademon can fully set up the box, it seems, it just yells out for dark side, sacrifices itself by creating this new explosion. But Green Lantern is able to save them both while also protecting the mother box from being damaged in the process. Yep, so that mysterious box is the mother box, which feels like is in almost every DC movie nowadays. When you're oh, starting yeah. a new universe, it's like, mother box, mother box. <laughs> we get it. We we know there's a transportation device. We get it. This transportation device, and it's used for other things too, but mainly it's used to get around. They hold on to it, and we get a smash cut into... Our next couple of heroes, Cyborg and Shazam, which we are introduced to as just a young kid who's sneaking into a football game as Billy Batson. And we get Victor Stone playing that football game as the quarterback, leading everyone to victory. And I have to say, Victor Stone gets this huge stadium to play in. It's like an NFL game. Isn't he in high school? (laughs) He is. And it was just like, who is funding this school? Is this a private school? Because I feel like even private schools don't have this level of setup for their sports teams. It's it's televised. Oh, right. It is televised. Because his dad is ignoring it on TV, too. Yeah. <laughs> and it's you just get to see this... Um, at first, a separate dynamic of Victor Stone being the champion kid in his school, but still longing for that respect and that love from his father while also seeing Billy being the one guy in this entire film who gets a chance to meet with Victor and as he's trying to sneak around because he obviously did not pay for his ticket he's trying to hide from security the two finally meet and they're just going back and forth about the dynamics of their upbringing Victor's childhood the fact that his father wasn't there and Billy's just this Wonderful 12-year-old kid, I'm assuming, who's just like, hey, you're great. You don't need anybody. You're all good. It's a great, fun dynamic. Again, that's what this movie does so well. It introduces characters and puts them together in ways you never really thought of. I've never personally watching all the animated series like, you know what would be cool if Shazam and Cyborg hung out? I never (laughs) had that thought. (laughs) And now with this movie, I'm like, yeah, I want to see Billy Batson Thief who idolizes Victor Stone, hang out, and their relationship comes full circle later on. So it's really great. Mm-hmm. So for now, Billy Batson just robs Cyborg and leaves. And <laughs> yeah, it takes this jersey in a scene that's like reminiscent from that old ad. That's probably that's probably actually older than us now that I'm thinking about it. Where oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> where it's just like the kid gets the jersey from the baseball or the, the sports player. And he's just so excited about it. And but this time it's just a fun twist where it's just a kid steals a high school jersey. 
that again is apparently worth enough money to be worth stealing like <laughs> i don't think friday night lights had this level of publicity as a real show and <laughs> This internal high school football game is the biggest thing. It's it's amazing. And then we cut back to an introduction of The Flash. Barry is here, our hero from our last film. He's different. He now is kind of still the same CSI, but he's also an errand boy, it seems, because he's picking up everybody's lunch. And, and he's a lot less jacked. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you listen to the first one and came here, or even if you haven't, in the first DC film, Flashpoint Paradox, everybody was jacked. Everybody had three necks, thick everything. <laughs> it, it was ridiculous. But the character models are slimmed down considerably. So it's only Superman and Shazam that are ridiculously muscle-bound. Everyone is much more realistic. Mm -hmm. Flash does not have a 15-pack. It's easier to look at this time around because everyone has very unique and crisp character designs. Flash also has this dynamic with Victor's father, where they seem to be in a co-buddy relationship. And Victor's father, Silas, seems to love the Flash. And you find out very soon he does not have that same amount of love for his son because he sees his son as just a football player that gets millions of people watching simultaneously at a high school level. He says that throwing a football is useless when people can fly at super speed and mm -hmm. hunch through buildings. Is he completely wrong? No. But yeah, still, still, <laughs> man, like Father of the Year Award, you do not receive. <laughs> no, he does not. He's doing some crazy science experiments, so maybe he has a Nobel Prize, but no. He's up there with the worst fathers of the year in the DC universe. <laughs> you know, right up there with Trigon. <laughs> and Darkseid, really. Oh, Darkseid, really? <laughs> yeah. the, the god of all evil. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a pretty rough dad. But it is good that we get introduced to him early because of all the ways he plays into the plot later. The last really big two introductions we get are Wonder Woman, and she's doing the whole fish out of water thing. She's going to meet with the president because this reality, people don't like superheroes. They're very anti-superhero. They think Wonder Woman's a freak. They're scared of her. Everyone's kind of scared of superheroes is the setup for this opening act. And she's coming to Washington to meet with the president, but she is unaccustomed to human nature. So she walks right into the middle of a protest and they literally have her doll on a noose, which is really, it takes real dedication because this is before superheroes are popular. So someone had to knit together a Wonder Woman doll, stitch oh, yeah. that and then hang it on a noose, drive to Washington, D.C., and then jump on a limo and swing it around. That is dedication to your hate, which I could almost admire if it wasn't so stupid. And we see in that scene, too, she's just so unsure about what's happening. And she questions, who is the adversary that we must face? She sees the effigy of herself there. And... Once she sees it, she's wondering, like, why is everybody protesting against her? They're pretty blunt about what, what it is. And she uses the lasso of truth because she tells them, they're like, you all know that this isn't the truth. There's something here. There's this underlying fear. Yes. But that fear, there has to be something. And I love that moment because she uses the lasso of truth on the guy who's holding it. He just instantly says that he dresses up as Wonder Woman himself because he likes to feel powerful. <laughs> and to her credit, she doesn't make fun of him necessarily. Mm -hmm. She does lets out a little chuckle because, you know, it's unexpected. But she says, I like to dress up like that because it makes me feel powerful too. Yeah. So it's this genuine moment where you see Wonder Woman bonding with humanity and connected to it. It's Something another recent Wonder Woman movie could have used a lot more. Uh, not naming any names. <laughs> 1984. Um, but this, this version of Wonder Woman is innocent, but not dumb, which is a great balance. And she still has this sense of wonder about the world. So she's fun. And then to complete the superhero introduction trilogy, trilogy, <laughs> there's seven of them. <laughs> <To> <laughs> The trilogy plus four, we have Superman <laughs> flying in. Batman and Green Lantern think alien box technology, maybe the alien with the red cape is doing all this. So they try to confront him. It's on site, by the way. Green oh, Lantern yeah. gets there and it's like, let's not even talk. Let's just punch him. 
Right. Which was another that. L count for GL, man. Like, <laughs> oh my god. He gets wrecked. Yeah. Green Lantern is just gets destroyed by Superman, who is the size of approximately every truck, every salt <laughs> truck you've ever seen combined into one is Superman. And he is just handing out only L's to Green Lantern. Batman holds his own for slightly longer, but there is no way anyone could take down Superman in this iteration. I have never seen him this powerful. The only time I think I've seen him this strong would have been in um, Superman versus the Elite, uh, another animated film. But in this, this is just like, in that film, we don't see what we see in Superman here, where it's just like his cockiness, which I love. As soon as he grabs Batman, he looks him in the eye and just says, so what can you do? And that right there is just like the confidence that he has in being as powerful as he is. I wouldn't even want to have this fight. And Batman, like you said, holds his own. But that's only because he's throwing everything but the kitchen sink at him. And that's only because the kitchen sink couldn't fit into the utility belt. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Go Bat Sink. (laughs) Superman is punching Green Lantern and Batman as they're wrapped in this green force field construct. And Superman is just battling through the city with them, sending them flying through city blocks, avenues, neighborhoods. As they finally get to the point where all is lost, Batman and Green Lantern can't fight anymore. Batman jumps in between them. And as Superman is speeding towards him, looks him in the eye and says, we are not here to mess with you. We are trying to only work with you, Clark. I think this was the Martha moment done a little bit better, in my opinion. <laughs> this, I was going to say, uh, this entire fight is the Batman v Superman fight done better. Yes. Um, Justice League War does it so much better because the fight is not driven by a lot of anger. It's not a lot of resentment. They're just fighting because they don't really understand what's going on. Yeah, and yeah. this moment of confusion is like, wait a minute. What's going on? How would an alien know my name? And then Clark scans him and says, oh, you're Bruce Wayne. Okay, so you're not an alien. I'm not the evil one. What the hell is going on? And as if on cue, the mother boxes explode and tons of parademons come spilling out everywhere out of every direction. And Superman, Green Lantern and Batman, whose cardio is a thousand percent because they go right back into the fight again. (laughs) Yes. go, Go beat up some parademons. The next section we go into right now is probably the longest that the rest of the movie will go without any action. But it is very important because now we're going back to Cyborg's origins. And this all happened because Cyborg, or sorry, Victor at the time, he decides to confront his father. He airs it all out, tells him that he doesn't understand why he he will never come to his games. He was offered so many scholarships. And Silas says something that I'm still having trouble understanding to this day, that Victor doesn't need to worry about getting a scholarship because he will pay for college. Who, who would give up? Who would give up? Right. Who gives, <laughs> it's free money for, edu- for a four-year education. Star Labs, where Silas works, must be paying like nine figures if you're going <laughs> to... Right. I, also, I don't know how much college costs within this particular universe, but if it's anything like nowadays, I'm I'm looking for something. <laughs> the next DC movie, I want full figures on college education. <laughs> like my student loan debt heard that and was disgusted by that comment. <laughs> God, yeah, please, Silas, if you want to fund us, let us yes. know. We'll pay off our debt right now. So during this argument between Silas and Victor, Victor decides to grab the mother box that Silas has in the room and it goes off and covers Victor in this blue alien substance virus, whatever you want to call it. So Silas says, let me save my son, puts Victor in a weird machine in a room full of alien technology, the combination of the virus, nanotech, alien technology, There was probably like a Beats pill in there somewhere that Victor integrated into a system and they combine all together and we get the first version of Cyborg that he eventually slims down. There's so many things to love about the sequence. There's this Frankenstein element Mm -hmm. of body horror of what's happening to Victor. You hear that emotion in his voice. That performance from Shamar Moore there is tragic. 
you're crying while you're listening to it because he feels like he's in so much pain. He doesn't know what's happening to his body. And then it's capped off by this amazing sequence where the animation, I think, changes for a minute because I think it literally starts to look like a, a Japanese anime fight scene where Victor is just taking down parademons that broke into the lab. And it is incredible. They put in more effort to this animation than some Disney movies put in their full runtime. Just for two minutes of Cyborg just kicking ass. It is amazing. Shout out to the animation company. They actually are the same people that worked on Avatar The Last Airbender, The Boondocks, and a lot of other previous DC animation movies. So just beautiful work there. All of that was seen in that moment, especially as Cyborg is fighting against the Parademons. At that same moment, Billy Batson is having a moment in his home because he's returned and he sees a Parademon has kidnapped somebody near him, turns into Shazam himself and flies off and eventually meets over by Star Labs because he takes the Parademon in his hand (laughs) and flies it over there and just says, hey, I think this came from one of you guys. I just want to return it. It's a great way to introduce Shazam. Everybody gets great intros in this. Flash runs into and just observes Shazam and Cyborg. And once Cyborg and his dad start fighting, Flash is like, well, I'm, I'm going to run somewhere else. <laughs> and he runs out of the building, which leaves our last team-up introduction, which is Wonder Woman is in DC enjoying some ice cream. Unconfirmed if it's Cold Stone, Baskin Robbins, we don't know. <laughs> I would have loved if it was Dipping Dots, but that's just my personal preference. And Parademons start attacking the president. The Air Force One is in the air trying to get away from it. So Diana cuts down everyone. And she's oh having gosh. the time of her life yes. taking down Parademons. And just as the last Secret Service soldier is gun- trying to gun down parademons but a quick side note the secret service in this movie is the most dedicated to their job I've ever seen. <laughs> yes yes they got the semi-autos they're trying to kill these parademons it's not working and it's so sad because batman's just a guy and he takes <laughs> down like 50 and he's got the they got the semi-autos and they're doing nothing to them luckily wonder woman flies in just in the nick of time She saves the president, but right before she can really claim victory for this, the plane starts careening, and who should fly in but Superman? And Diana hangs upside down in the hole, looks at Superman, and gives him the eyes. It's on site immediately. They're like, hey, you want to... And Superman's down! (laughs) He's down! (laughs) I love it! This Superman's cocky. He's saying, what's up to every... He's single. He's unattached. It's fine. He can try a little thing with Diana. It's great. I love this version of Superman. (laughs) (laughs) So then our heroes finally gather and Cyborg has now found a way over to meet up with everybody. Shazam is also there. Flash is there. Green Lantern and Flash know each other, in, uh, which, I, which I'm going to count to my another GLL count as he tries to do some kind of handshake <laughs> with Flash and it just <laughs> fails miserably. Yes. And Batman's finally given out his first compliment in this entire film by recognizing the Flash's work. Really, that was just like a, a moment there because then you get a chance to see the joking matter between Green Lantern and Flash again. Cyborg has arrived, as I mentioned, with Shazam in tow. Shazam is just like, you know, I'm with him. And the other thing about Shazam is that he keeps his kid-like nature about him. So even though he's big as Superman, is probably just as powerful as Wonder Woman or more, there's still this kid at heart. So, and I always felt that in this particular movie, Shazam really felt like a bit of the glue to add this nature to everybody to feel a bit more comfortable in this warlike state. But as I mentioned, this is a war. And even though they were feeling comfortable, Batman notices that this is truly an invasion and they need to work because the water is on fire. Yes. Oh, such a great line. (laughs) Such a great line. (laughs) But they don't really have time to think about that because who should pull up but the big bad baddie himself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Dark side. Dark side, similar to Superman, is handing out nothing but L's and punches this time yeah. around. 
Now, even with the forewarning of, of um, Cyborg, Cyborg can now connect a bit more to his mother box and he's able to know that Darkseid is on the way. And even with this warning, Green Lantern still catches three L's from Darkseid. <laughs> One where as soon as Green Lantern tries something on site, Darkseid just takes him out, basically moves his arm and <laughs> slaps him away, whereas Parademons are now just stomping him out. He tries again, gets slapped out the way again. And then in the last attempt, Green Lantern gives it his all. Beaming towards Darkseid, Darkseid grabs his arm and breaks it completely in just multiple places, possibly. Then we kind of now see that Darkseid is truly this powerful opponent. And as they're trying to run away, Darkseid shoots off these beams from his eyes. At first, it just seems like, you know, these are your normal beams that can just go in one direction. No, these split up as soon as Flash and Superman split up themselves. And Flash finds a way to maneuver out the way of them by making them crash into every single parademon that's attacking civilization currently at this moment. But Superman, unfortunately, either isn't fast enough or is just moving in one direction for too long and gets caught by the beams, causing him to get knocked out and carried away by the parademons. Yep, and Darkseid's like, well, that's good enough for me. I'll go destroy the rest of the world because the rest of the pre-Justice League at this point has just been walked over by Darkseid. They don't know what to do with him. So Batman decides to split the forces. He goes to Green Lantern. He unmasks in front of Green Lantern to say, look, I'm just a guy out here. Everyone else is weird. We're the two most normal dudes here but I need to go and take care of business. I need you to rally the team. And it's a great moment because up to this point, as we said, Green Lantern has been taking L's the entire movie. Batman does not seem to respect him at all, but he trusts him to stay behind on Earth and defend it against Darkseid because Batman, he puts on a jacket, throws a nice uh, cap just on. Just a random jacket too. Yeah, just happens <laughs> to be in all the rubble. Like, was yeah. the store? Was, did somebody did somebody lose this jacket in the in the rush to try to get away? I'm a little confused where this came from. An H and M must have exploded nearby, <laughs> and he just picked up an extra large jacket. I don't know. Batman seems like a Zara <laughs> man to me. <laughs> if this was more modern, I would say a drone. He had a drone just drop off a jacket like a bat suit, but he just gets in his jacket and and cap. Let's a parademon take him into Darkseid's planet, Apocalypse, through one of the many portals. And he goes on this adventure to rescue Superman. Meanwhile, the rest of the pre-Justice League rally together for a plan. Green Lantern calls the shots, says, all right, we got to take out the eyes because these Omega Beams are no joke. Mm -hmm. So basically, I mean, we could go into detail, but... You could sum this up by it's 10 minutes of them punching Darkseid and Darkseid punching back and then punching Darkseid. They take out one eye, more punching, more explosions. It's great. <laughs> it's, it's so wonderful, especially because for one scene in particular, I feel Wonder Woman has to be the strongest League member here. Oh, yes. Because with Darkseid attacking her, I think she kicks him up into the air and uh, just enough so that he crashes through one floor of a building. Then she continues to punch him upward every single time through many floors. And I tried to see if I could do the math on this. I don't know physics. I just want to say this right now. <laughs> I do not know. I don't understand the laws of physics too much. I've been reading comic books for so long that they have all been broken. So Darkseid at the time possibly weighs about 1,815 pounds. So to punch him in the air continuously based off of, was it the gra the acceleration of gravity and all these other terms and things I like I said, I don't understand. I'm just assuming that she had to hit him with 17,800 pounds of force. Mm, damn. That's the towing capacity of a Ford F-350. Whew. She so, Ford commercials. Yes. <laughs> It's like when you want to measure up to the, the hits in the face that Darkseid was taking, get a F-350. <laughs> Just ram it into your face a couple of times. You're <laughs> so 
So as you mentioned, they're taking out the eyes. They take out one eye, which Wonder Woman does by using her sword to stab him directly in the eye as the team is now finally working together side attacks and faint attacks and all the other kinds of attacks so long enough to distract him so that somebody else can get a hit in and flash takes out the other eye and i mean you're not going to see this in any other movie he grabs a crowbar from a random person <laughs> runs off a building and just puts it in dark side's eye like i didn't know i needed that but i did <laughs> and i'm glad i saw it it was incredible so this is a decisive moment for the heroes on Earth because they're like, oh, the eyes are gone. This is great. But Darkseid's still walking all over them. He's yes. just handing out L still. And there's no end in sight. Meanwhile, Batman is finding Superman in the middle of this brainwashing process that will also turn him into a parademon. So Batman threatens a man, alien things, life. Because the man Decide, alien thing. yeah. It's uh, oh yes. Yeah, one of one of Darkseid's disciples, which we'll talk about a bit more soon. Yeah, so uh, that guy does not know that Batman has a no-kill rule, even though he does kill a lot of parademons. So I don't <laughs> really know where his stance on no killing. I guess if it's sentient life, he doesn't if, kill. if it's for the fate of the world, I think I, I think Batman abandons his code. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, just, just kill the alien dude. And he frees Superman, but Superman is still lashing out. And Superman's coming closer. He might kill Batman. And, uh, and they cut five minutes later, and it's fine. Superman's just normal again. <laughs> <laughs> Him and Batman stop to pick up some fancy new armor that they immediately rip off when they get back to Earth. And don't worry about that because now Superman's punching Darkseid a bunch. And this entire time, the team is now trying to send the Parademons back home because Cyborg realizes that he's able to communicate with the mother boxes and open up the, the boom tubes, as he's now calling them, to send them back to Apocalypse. And he believes that he could do the same with Darkseid. It works. The parademons are flying back in another scene of wonderful animation to me because, mm -hmm. like, again, they're just, they look like they're just actual toys and CGI characters just flying back. And Darkseid is also being drawn into this boom tube as if it's a, a black hole and it's trying to pull him back more and more. The heroes are fighting, they're punching him, they're sending as many hits as they can to get him to fly through this. And that's when Batman and Superman come through. Superman is just punching at him as much as he can, trying to avoid the fact that Darkseid is saying that he wants to take him back with him. And he's just like, not today, headbutts him and sends him through finally with the portal closing behind them. And the heroes now just standing in the center of the destroyed city and rubble and everything you could think of. It's great to see them all come together. And there is a nice little moment in the middle of all this action where to close the portal, Cyborg needs a little extra electricity. So Shazam, when Shazam does the transformation, there's a big bolt of lightning. Shazam does the transformation in midair. He turns back into a kid. Cyborg catches him and says, I'll keep your secret that you're a kid from the rest of the league. And then he just tells the rest of the league, oh yeah, Shazam, he had something else to do, you know. Yeah, he had, he a, he had a hot day. <laughs> <laughs> He had a hot date with someone from Mortal Kombat. Um, <laughs> hopefully not Molina. And he keeps the secret. And there's this budding friendship between them. Then we cut to the big award ceremony where they're trying to figure out their name of the league. And now everyone appreciates superheroes. And now that they do, hard cut, we're over. This movie's done. <laughs> it's just, it just ends. <laughs> They give you a little tease at the end mm -hmm. that all these fish died because remember the water was on fire. So from the depths of Atlantis, Orm, Aquaman's evil brother, rises to the surface. He's holding the dead king and says, the surface dwellers will pay for this. And there you go. That's your hook for a movie two episodes down the line. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's it. That is Justice League war what is your take on it it was such a fun movie to watch to see all these heroes come together for the first time most of the time you see kind of 
one person meets another person in this thing and then they finally do come together in this bigger battle but to have it where everybody is literally meeting each other at that very moment and then learning to fight with one another at that very moment as well it's just done in a way where I felt like everybody had the greatest amount of screen time that they can get. No character felt like their time was exhaustive or anything. So it was just wonderful to see our heroes back in this way, because for quite some time, there was a major focus in just the Superman and the Batman. It was dominating movies, live action, cartoons, everything. So now we finally get a chance to see all of these heroes get their moment to shine. And a lot of it was origin stories because we have Cyborg becoming a hero for the first time and learning what it means to become a hero. We have Shazam, who we don't know too much about, but you know this is his first time teaming up with a team of this caliber. And then we have Superman. He seems to have been so soloed out for so long because of the fact that he was a god amongst men that now we have a group of people that can help humble him a bit. Now rewatching this, I'm kind of excited to see if any of this ripples out, because I legitimately don't remember. It's been so long since I've seen <laughs> these middle movies. Yeah. So if it doesn't, I will criticize it later. But for now, there's so much hope and promise in all these relationships that have developed. In terms of major themes, um, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say there are many. Honestly, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> we're just going to punch things. That's what this was. That was the major theme. I would say the only Arate alteration I would suggest for this film is I would have liked to see just one more scene of them interacting with civilians because for context, in this film, there are so many scenes where they're just punching through buildings. These superheroes care nothing about property damage because I think every single one of them does at least $100 million of damage each. Maybe Batman does the least because, again, he's just a guy. But for the most part, they destroy whatever city they go to. So there is one scene where Cyborg and Shazam save a couple of people. And obviously, at the end, all the kidnapped people that were being taken by parademons are rescued. But I would have just wanted one more scene where we got Wonder Woman saving more than the president. And seeing Flash running in and saving a bunch of people at the last second. That, that's really it. Because everyone turns around on superheroes at the end. That's why I think one more scene in the middle of all the punching where they maybe go, I need to punch Darkseid. This is a chance I could take out Darkseid. But instead, I'll save this person and yeah, put my yeah. body on the line. I think that would have been nice to see. But that's it. If you're coming here for like a deep exploration of superhero themes and what it means to put on the cape, you're not going to find it here. You're just going to find punching, <laughs> but you're going to have a good time. Yeah, I agree with that because I hear you when you're saying that there was minimal scenes of them interacting with civilians and the property damage alone was uh, there is, <laughs> I think it does get mentioned. I think that's the exact amount of property damage that Wonder <laughs> Woman has created since she's came to this new world. We never really saw a chance to justify this moment of the heroes are actually good because like you said, we start off with them already being seen negatively, and then we instantly jump to the end where they're all being cheered. We never get a chance to really see them interact with people other than Batman and Green Lantern being shot at. Yeah, I think just one civilian scene would have helped. But that's what we thought of the movie. So now... How did this compare to the comics? What's different? What's the same? I know last time you had to read about 3,000 comics. <laughs> did you have to read less this time around? No, I want to say that for this round of that comic book knowledge, I really kept it a smaller set because like I mentioned, this is the start of a brand new universe. So a lot of the information gets changed around a lot. And we see that now in the new 52 universe. So this is really just six issues of the new 52 Justice League comic by Jeff Johns and Jim Lee. In this, we see the same things play out. Panel for panel is pretty much the same. But the biggest differences I will say are we actually don't see Shazam at all in the comic. He's replaced by Aquaman, which added a bit of a different mentality to the team because 
one of the biggest things that they had to fight off against at one point was who's going to be leading the team and giving the directions. Aquaman being the king of Atlantis came through and automatically thought that he needs to be the one in control because from what he has seen at the time, he had taken down the biggest threat. And that was a parademon invading Atlantis. This adds and changes a lot to what we see in that post credit scene of Orm coming up from the ocean with the body of the dead king, because now we see that Aquaman is now an active member of the Justice League at this time. So you mean the comic didn't tease two movies down the line? <laughs> no, actually, I will say this, that the, the comics went a different route from what we see in the upcoming episodes that we're going to be producing. One of the other things that happened with including Aquaman in this is that we actually see a bit more independence from Cyborg. He doesn't have this connection to Billy or Shazam to really kind of humble him and push him forward to be that hero. And that big scene at the end with Shazam providing the electrical energy to power the mother box to send Darkseid home isn't happening there either. This all happens when Cyborg gets the willpower to become the hero that he needs to be in this moment. And we see more of an arc for Cyborg of learning what it means to be a hero throughout the rest of the comics, because in each moment after his accident, he has a moment to speak with the heroes as they're fighting. Flash saves some civilians there at some point, and that's when Cyborg sees what it really means to become a hero. And towards the end, when Superman is trying to battle against Darkseid to push him through the portal, same thing happens where Cyborg doesn't have the juice to power up the boom tube to send Darkseid home. So Superman gives him a pep talk while fighting off Darkseid. Oh. <laughs> and it was just that that moment that made me really see that Cyborg really is a kid. This was how we really saw it as that. In the movie, we don't really see it that much because one, Shamar Moore's voice is deep as hell. I never really saw Cyborg as a high school football player in that movie. I saw him as someone just as old as any of the other Justice League members. And Billy Batson was the one that was providing the, the childlike nature. But in the comic, we see that Cyborg is the one who's hesitant. He's already dealing with the fact of the emotional moments with his father. He's already dealing with the fact that his own transformation. And now he has to deal with the fact that he's pulled into this war, into this battle. And he has no idea how to react because at the end of the day, he's still this 17, 18-year-old kid. It makes sense. I mean, if you are a 17 year old in one day, you're going to be throwing a football and mm -hmm. the next day your body is half machine and you're fighting aliens. That's probably going to do something to your mental state. I mm -hmm. hope so. <laughs> I hope this is not something you were preparing for your entire life. <laughs> Along with this new story, I think I had to spend more time looking at who are these members of the team. So I took a bit more of a look into their first coming together. As I mentioned in the beginning, this is the Silver Age comic team of the Justice League. They're originally called the Justice League of America. The team consisted of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, and we also have Martian Manhunter, as well as on and off Aquaman. So the Super 7 now came together back in 1960, and their first villain wasn't Darkseid. It wasn't this big war that we had in this film it was against starro the conqueror which for dc fans you will know him as a giant patrick looking dude but for newer oh. fans this giant starfish with an eye in the center of his body and he's able to create smaller versions of himself that plants onto the face of different people and he's able to take control of their minds wow i would not want to mess with that at all <laughs> that, that sounds like a I'm just picturing Patrick Starr getting into my mind and making me go under his rock and watching his sand TV. It's uh, no, <laughs> it's terrifying. Petition against sand TVs. That's that's this episode's petition. A sand TV is impractical. You shouldn't watch anything out of it. Let's get these removed from the SpongeBob show and get back to accuracy. 
even though in that particular comic back in 1960 by Gardner Fox, they were already being called the Justice League. Once they had their serialized comic come out, we eventually got to see a true origin story about how they, how they came together in a one-shot issue. Also, I want to speak about the fact of their influence since then. Their comics were selling like crazy back in the day and actually influenced the other comic book industries to create stories that featured multiple heroes banding together. Justice League of America was such a pivotal moment in comics that Marvel wanted to follow suit and they asked for Stan Lee to do, to do the same. And that's actually how we got the Fantastic Four. This is great innovation. So when you watch Justice League War and you're like, oh yeah, I've seen a team up and maybe you're like, oh, maybe this isn't that interesting. Just think about the origins and the history of this. How if it wasn't for this team up, there may have not been Avengers Endgame. You yeah, may have yeah. not cried like a baby when Spider-Man was fading into dust. I would like say Captain spoilers. America cut off his beard. <laughs> oh, God, a bigger tragedy. When Gillette came in and said, <laughs> hey, you guys need more money? Uh, and then the next thing I want to talk about is the god of evil himself, Darkseid. Darkseid was introduced back in 1970. Uh, he made his full appearance, though, in 1971. He had a cameo appearance in the comic of Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. So Darkseid was created by Jack Kirby. He helped to create a lot of the cosmic world that you see in Marvel. And he also helped to do the same for DC. One of his greatest creations was Darkseid and this whole new world of the fourth world with the new gods and apocalypse. And it's just brought a whole new concept to superheroes and what is the larger fight that they're going against. For a brief intro on it, after Ragnarok, this is the event in Norse mythology that ties to the death of all the gods. Darkseid's family and another group of people were able to get these powers from the old gods and become the new ones. In this story that I would like to now call the days of our anti-lives. That's good. <laughs> Darkseid's real name was Uxas, I believe that's how you pronounce it. U-X-A-S. I is will... he Kingdom Hearts villain? and he was the second in line to the throne of apocalypse Darkseid didn't like that so he decided to kill his brother drax no relation even though yeah i was about to say like (laughs) drax is alive he's green he's in the marvel universe (laughs) no relation i guess it's just jack kirby decided that the name sounded good enough to be in both universes and this led to his completed corruption that turned him into stone before that he had very brownish hair he was very fair skin and this turned him into the stone light figure that we see throughout history this continues on in his corruption now that he has the, the throne of apocalypse he still actually has to fight against his mother, who still currently holds the throne. His mother ends up killing his wife because she feels that Darkseid's wife is the cause of his corruption. Darkseid, now distraught over his wife, decides that he needs to retaliate and asks for his other disciple, Dasad, who we see in the film. He asks for Dasad to poison his mother in the same way that she had poisoned his wife. And this leads into a new age where Darkseid is the now ruler of Apocalypse. Also in their universe, in this fourth world, there's this thing called the life equation. It's the thing that allows sentient beings to exist. Seeing how Apocalypse was the polar opposite of the benevolent world of New Genesis, Darkseid figured that the same thing must apply and that there must be an opposite to the life equation or the anti-life equation, as I like to call it. And this equation, he feels, is the thing that will allow him to take over not just Apocalypse, but the entire world and the known universe. During his search, he figures that humans collectively should have the answer to the equations buried deep in their minds. So that's the real reason why he wants to take over Earth. So it sounds similar to Thanos, just a little bit more complicated because there's math. I mean, Thanos was just like half. Easy. I can, Mm -hmm. I know basic fractions but anti-life equation that sounds like physics that sounds like calculus and i i barely got out of high school pre-calc so yeah i'm still working on the a squared plus b squared equals what i don't know <laughs> i never i'll we'll never know i don't think they figured it out yet i don't know what a squared plus b squared is yet so now that i've told you that entire story of dark side i want you to take that bury it deep into the back of your mind because okay. 
New 52 brings forward this whole new origin of Darkseid. <laughs> oh, fun. <laughs> so in this new origin, Darkseid is actually just this mud farmer on his world. I kid you not, he's literally just farming mud or grubbing mud. That's what it's called. I don't even have a funny retort for that. I just, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so sad. <laughs> He lives on this world with a bunch of other people, but also his biological brother, Isaiah, and his wife, who happens to be someone I believe that Darkseid is fond of as well. They're in this distraught world and is ruled by the old gods. The entire time Isaiah and his wife are trying to pray to these gods to help with bringing forth some nice material for their world to pray that farming goes well, to pray that they have enough food to eat and that the distraught world that they live in just has some semblance of life and goodness. Darkseid, who's also still at this point, Uxus, also feels that they shouldn't be praying to these gods because they've never helped them in the past. So why should they help them now? And the only thing that they should be doing is trying to see if they can take over their power and get rid of these old gods, which he succeeds in doing by breaking into the god's temple and whispers in their ear during the middle of the night as they were sleeping, saying things like, well, this god said this about you, and this god said that, and this god is thinking about doing this. So in their dreams, they're thinking that all this is real. So they finally lead into this giant war. And as each god is taking out the other, Darkseid goes in for the kill and takes on the power of all of these gods, turning himself once again into this stone-like figure, full armor, more like what we see in the movie and in the comic as well. He did all of that with a little gossip, with a little like, that god said your edges look horrible. <laughs> and there you go. That There's your war. And we get a bit of a time jump as Darkseid who now has this particular person who's able to teleport through dimensions, he's chasing after him and he sees a vision of Superman. He's trying to figure out who this man is, how does he have so much power? And once he's able to break through these barriers himself, he actually fights against Superman and defeats him. This is when we find out about the multiverse here. Because during this moment, we see that Darkseid has been traveling around the multiverse and taking Superman from different multiverses to defeat them because he's, he's worried about this man who has so much power, the power of the gods, and sees him as more of an adversary. So that is the reason why in this New 52 continuity, he's actually invading Earth, it seems. Makes sense. Can't get killed by a red cape. If the red cape is dead, you know, that's that's what they said in the American Revolution. <laughs> I, I also had a bad history teacher, guys. <laughs> so, OK, I see this. I see this. I see that dark side is just a terrible person. Spreads gossip, premeditate murder. Everything about this guy is just awful. And, you know, he's got those omega beams that target in and, and just kill you. The moral of the story, I think, is if you start out mud farming, anything is going to be better than that, including like just mass multiversal genocide. It just as long as you don't have to stomp in the mud, I guess. And that concludes the days of our anti-lives as I go back and talk about one thing that I really wanted to bring up was Cyborg's origin. Throughout most of Cyborg's history, He's always been the same character of after some dangerous experiment connected to something that his father was doing, he has to don this armor that his father has put onto him in order to get his life to be saved. That turns into Cyborg. Before the new 52 storyline started, I don't think there's ever been a point in which Cyborg was really truly connected to the mother boxes. Before that, his origin started out with his parents were already experimenting on him when he was a kid. At that point, he had already had genius level intellect and that was just it. So he's always resented his parents for that. Then one day as he got a little older, he's a teenager now again, he got caught in a blast that was part of some interdimensional travel experiment that his parents were working on. And at that moment, his mother dies because she's caught by this alien that kills her instantly. And Victor is caught by the alien as well, but his father is able to shut down the portal just in time. So 
he's able to save his son, but he has to turn him into cyborg in order to do this. This comic and this movie were just so similar that it was very hard to really find the differences in between. And it pulled so much from previous history while introducing such new concepts. The only thing that I just thought that the movie could have done more with was the dynamic between them. It's already great, like don't get me wrong, but in the comic, we also see moments in which the heroes are not only trying to band together, but you also see moments in which they're recognizing that their lives are so intertwined in so many different ways. Batman has this moment with Superman in which they both share this disdain of Lex Luthor. I think that if this movie is gearing up to introduce this whole new universe and all these characters are really up for play, I felt like that would have been such a great moment because here we have a connection not only to, you know, Batman versus Superman, but then we also have this long-term disdain towards Lex Luthor that Bruce and Clark have always had throughout comics, TV shows, animated series, everything. The other thing too, Bruce mentions that in the comic, as Barry is talking to him, that Barry sounds so much like a cop. And at that moment, Barry reveals his secret identity to him. So Classic Barry. Yeah. <laughs> The last moment of bonding that happens is we see it between Wonder Woman and Superman. In the comic, there's definitely something there. We felt the sparks between them in the film. And I don't want to say anything else because that is something that I'm very much looking forward to as we discuss it through the rest of these episodes and films. Yeah, we got to keep you guys wanting more, you know? Exactly. (laughs) That's really it. There are so many little small changes that don't really play that much into the story that it affected the movie that greatly. We don't have to really say that the movie did this completely different and this completely wrong. It's just like they saw the comic, they felt the comic, they felt the power of the comic. And the only change being of them introducing Shazam instead of Aquaman, I think it helped. I think it really helped this film to have Shazam be a part of this team because now we have somebody who's truly a balancing nature in terms of the funny. And each person getting a chance to provide their own little comedic side and nature to this team dynamic that It's just come together so quickly, but so well. Yes. And this dynamic, we keep talking about it because when you look at Justice League 2017, not the Snyder Cut, we don't live in the future. We haven't seen it yet. But Justice League 2017 essentially has this plot of this movie Mm -hmm. in a lot of similar ways, Mother Boxes, Parademons, all of that. And the team up element isn't there. We just don't care about them as a team we don't really buy that these people like each other. And this animated movie, what was it, 97, 79 minutes? Yeah, in 79 minutes, yeah. In 79 minutes, does what a two-hour blockbuster film couldn't do, which was make us care what happens to these people. It it's genuinely does. So I'll say if you're on the fence about checking this one out, you think, I've seen tons of Justice League movies. Why watch this one? It's because... They get what we love about the Justice League, a bunch of people from different backgrounds with different powers who don't know each other, bonding together because they want to save this earth. Even though people don't like them, even though people don't respect them, even though people are scared of them, they're willing to put all that aside, put their lives, their bodies on their line because they don't want ice cream and football (laughs) played in $100 million stadiums by high school students to go away so for that alone and the two hours of action it feels like in 79 minutes definitely give justice league war a watch that is justice league war it is the beginning of this brand new universe we have seen our team come together and now we will be seeing them go out into their own separate films learning what they have learned from this team up and how do they grow, how they get that character development. And we're going to be along for the ride to see it all play out. Oh, yes. Next time we're back here, we're going to be looking at, hey, what if Batman had a son? Because the movies, the son, it's called Son of Batman. So we're going to see that. That's, that's what we're going to be talking about next time around. Yep, and I can't wait because if you love Batman, you're going to love his son. Or maybe you won't. Yeah, you maybe you probably won't. (laughs) 
Now that we've finished talking about our DC animated content, here are some recommended readings for you. All these comics and more can be found at your local comic shop, so remember to venture out and support your part of the source wall, and tell them Andrew and Shamar sent you. The first in our list is Justice League Origin. This trade collection has the first six issues of the 2011 New 52 Justice League. Serving as the source material for the film, this collection shows the first time that these now seasoned heroes banded together against Darkseid to create the team in this new timeline. Next on our list is Justice League number 23.1. The single issue comic from 2013 serves as the rebooted New 52 origin of Darkseid. We see his rise as he usurps the power of the old gods and his discovery of Superman around the multiverse. This comic I feel will help you understand Darkseid's revised motivations for his earthly conquest. Last on our list is Justice League of America The Silver Age, Volumes 1 and 2. These two trade collections contains Gardner Fox's work as the creator of the Justice League. While Volume 1 contains their first appearance in Brave and the Bold and their first set of serialized comics, Volume 2 provides their one-issue origin story and continues their battles against scientific and magical forces with new members joining the League. That's all for our list. Thank you for listening and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to yet another DC animated podcast. Also, interact with us on social media for news and upcoming content. Take care and we'll see you for the next issue.